Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Over the last several years, a growing number of experts have been touting the health benefits of walking, especially as we get older, and the need to find sustainable habits that keep us moving, fit, and active. But while walking is certainly beneficial for individuals, the concept of walkability, that is, walkable communities, has become a cornerstone of forward-thinking urban planning. And it's proving to have immense health, social, and economic benefits for everyone. In today's episode, we talk to Dan Burton, the nation's most recognized expert on walkability, bicycle, and pedestrian programs, who is the Director of Innovation and Inspiration for Blue Zones. Indeed, Dan has been innovating and inspiring people for more than 45 years, leading Time Magazine to call him one of the six most important civic innovators in the world. In today's conversation, Dan will explain what walkability means and how we can reshape our built environment, our roadways, sidewalks, bicycle lanes, and other pathways to create healthier, more prosperous, environmentally sustainable, and vital communities. He'll talk about specific ways we can create complete streets that serve the needs of automobiles, pedestrians, and bicyclists, and ways we can do it all as members of our communities and participate in the process. You'll learn how Dan employs his resolute people-first approach to help the nation get back on its feet. So now let's meet our guest, Dan Burton. Dan, welcome to the show. Ron, it's a delight to be here. And uh, from the opposite end of the country, uh, Port Townsend, Washington, mm-hmm. out in the Olympic Peninsula. Well, Grad, we, so we're bi-coastal today. I love it. So that's great. That's great. So so I want to uh, talk, uh, start, Dan, by um, uh, introducing a little bit, you know, after my introduction, just so people can know, if they go to my Roel Resources dot com page, forty five forward page, you you can read much more about Dan's background. Um, uh, so, but uh, rather than have people, my guests give uh, their resumes, I just want to talk a little about just about your journey, about how you got to where you are today. You've been at it for a long time, but in various uh, you know iterations. So, tell me how you got to where you are today, a little bit. Yeah, I I didn't plan to be where I am. I just kind of stumbled into it. I grew up as a child of the 60s, and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do in life, but I knew I wanted a life with purpose. And uh, I was in love with bicycling at the time, and I wanted more people to bicycle. So I started out in that field, led an expedition for National Geographic from Alaska to Argentina. Took wow. three years. Yeah. And then um, I started organizations to do just that, to promote bicycling. And then I had been hired by the Florida DOT to be their first bicycle coordinator for the state. And I had gone off on a trip to Australia. And uh, one of those light life-changing moments i realized it wasn't about bicycling it was about walk <laughs> mm. and so i came back changed my job title didn't ask permission nobody <laughs> stopped me so i became the nation's first bicycle pedestrian coordinator and then people realized uh 
uh, the role I was playing. And so the best mentors came to me uh, uh, first in city design and transportation planners, engineers, architects, landscape architects. So they all schooled me. It was almost like uh, the college came to me and mm -hmm. the best of the best. Right. So the uh, I became very adept and skilled at then taking the knowledge I was gaining and building communities for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I was doing that, it just all evolved, all the elements of things we need to to build a habitat that works for people and not for for fouling the air with too much pollution or something like that. And uh, so, yeah, that led me into 50 years of doing what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, I find it interesting, too, that, you you know, you, well, you're you're a. Um, uh, a fellow with blue zones and most people think about blue zones and they, they hear all oh, these are blue zones here you know people are people live you know over 100 and so forth but this is a you know a, basically a cornerstone of that philosophy and and, and what leads to that um so let's talk a little bit about you know just the notion of walkability like how do you define it you know uh, what are the components that you think about well walkability is more than sidewalks and getting across the street it's really building the right scale that if you have uh what the french are now referring to as 15 minute cities that is if you lived in this area you could do 80 90 percent of all the things you like to do in a week where you live you don't have to get in a car it's actually easier uh cheaper <laughs> to to not jump in a car for everything you do. And so you have stores, parks, schools, sometimes even employment centers, all within a walking scale. Uh, so right now we're talking about, well, that was the way we always designed cities before there were cars. Anyone that would design it where it wasn't walkable was crazy. Uh, you wouldn't sell a home. You wouldn't do anything. And so, uh, it's now getting back to those principles. And uh, sadly and unfortunately, so much of America has been destroyed as opposed to, to more advanced countries like Australia, New Zealand, most of Europe. Uh, we're going to have to build oases. You know, so our 15-minute cities are, are the ones we purposely go back and resurrect. Right. Uh, the, the, yeah. And the good news is the older communities, especially New England, and uh, much of the Midwest was laid out correctly. They've got the right streets. They got the right locations for parks and things like that. So it's now a matter of uh, broadening our zoning so that we can, we're permitted to have a mix of building types and building uses uh, within that 15-minute radius. Yeah. Yeah, so the, I think the... A lot of the obstacles are um, structural, you know, structural ones in terms of policy, not 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 in terms of what we can't do. But uh, we did go through a period of uh, uh, of the fifties and sixties when, when we were younger of an, a, a different approach, and I think that that was what I call kind of a technological approach of specialization, which applied to lots of things that it shouldn't have applied to, <laughs> like like. Uh, how we we build our communities, especially in the suburbs. So you had the zoning. You know, it was like, okay, 
you got retail here, you got housing here, you got uh, commercial here. None of these should ever touch each other, you know, and you should get to different places by car. And um, it's taken us a while to figure out, like, wait a minute. As you said, all of a sudden the light goes on and says, wait a minute, this is not really working, especially as every time you develop something, you basically generate more traffic. And it's like people are choking on traffic. Um, and I do remember, before I get back to you, I just want to mention that I do remember growing up in suburban Long Island. Um, that uh, when I went to uh, college, um, I, uh, I went to to Yale and and uh, in, in the seventies, and um, I uh, I remember after I graduated, I ended up working in New Haven, and I I didn't have a car at the time, and I got a job, and it was, and then I I could walk to work, and I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> I can walk to work. I can walk to the corner store, get a quart of milk if I need it or whatever. And I don't need to. And it was like, this is what this is what it's about. This is what that having that flexibility. And I think what's what's interesting is that it, it seems to be coming now, as you mentioned, my show is for older people, a lot of it. But from there's sort of a failings from both sides, older people who don't want to walk everywhere, who want to retire in places where they can walk, as well as younger people who like, they don't want to walk, they don't want to drive everywhere either. And so I think it's this combination that perhaps is is getting us closer to what you're talking about. You know, that's so true. And an interesting uh, uh, data point is that it walkability is not only appreciated more and more the older we get, it's also appreciated by the youngest uh, of our generations. Uh, 79% of home buyers in this country, uh, who are mostly younger folks, they want walkable communities. That's a huge percentage. And yet, if we go to measure, well, how many communities in America are truly walkable? It's less than 10%. Mm. So the the demand for real estate, for um uh, economic packages of all kinds uh, to now embrace walkability is huge. It, it uh, has grown up mm-hmm. in the 40, 50 years I've been doing this. Uh, it used to be a fight to get anyone to even listen to the concept. Now it's like, how do we do it? Right. And so I, I will probably never retire. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 79. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, and I, that's a very good thing as as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> because I think that you know you need to, as you said, you start with a sense of purpose and you want to keep a sense of purpose. It may be a different purpose or an evolving purpose, but uh, this is a, really a worthwhile one to do. So we're going to talk about some examples of how you work, but before we do that, I want to just you know give our audience a sense of just what kinds of specific things you mean, and when you say you want to, you know create complete streets, which I think is the term we use these days, that are more inclusive in terms of accommodating cars, of course, but also pedestrians and bicyclists um, uh, as part of the whole, and you know, and a more inclusive approach to the people who live there. So what, what kinds of components do you look at? We look at uh, about 16 different things. Uh, the big ones, we want to green up our communities. We want more shade, more ways to uh, handle water uh, than just letting it run off the pavement, super heat, 
hot <laughs> and everything. Uh, so green is critical. Uh, the right scale, uh, the streets need to honor the type of community they flow through. So rather than super widen the roads, which is what our practice has been for 40, 50 years, we're now talking about how do we make streets more compact? Hmm. How do we make intersections more compact? How do we put in more places where where people on foot can cross their streets? And the big one, really big one, is how do we bring the speeds down? Hmm. It's okay to drive higher speeds between communities, but once you hit the edge of the community, you should never be driving over 30. And uh, indeed, except for a freeway, right? Uh, uh, in most local neighborhoods now, uh, copying what the U Europeans are doing, and now many Canadian cities are doing, uh, no more than 20 in mm -hmm. neighborhoods on local streets. There's huge support for that. And uh, But again, we've set design criteria for even local streets to be so wide, so fast, that we're sending one message to the motors, drive this speed, right, 30 or something, and yet we want people to drive 20. So we're going to have to design our streets uh, and, again, save a lot of material, a lot of cost by building streets the right size, the right scale, and the right speed. Right. And, and as you point out, it, it's people think, oh, I'm going to drive slower. But there are actually many benefits to driving slower that people really don't think about off the top of their head. One of them, of, of course, is, you know, safety for both, you know, pedestrians and for um, and for other cars and for bicyclists. Um, but you've pointed out that there are other kinds of, you know, benefits uh, to the community in terms of economic growth and revenue, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'll give you an example. One of the most dangerous streets in all of North Carolina is uh, North Carolina State. It's a street called Hillsborough Street in Raleigh. And we worked with the neighborhoods, two neighborhoods, and the college, and the, the city, the county, the state. And we were able to bring the speeds on uh, what were primarily five-lane roads down to about uh, 20 on average. And by taking out the traffic signals and putting in roundabouts, we were able to get people home sooner at a lower speed. The economic life of the uh, community just skyrocketed. It was amazing. Uh, they're up now almost at a billion dollars of new buildings, uh, residential and commercial. And it's amazing. And that's just one of a dozen communities where we've seen that exact result. And so the, economically, uh, it makes sense to build for people and place and uh to stop overbuilding for the car. You know, the car is going to move better if we give more people choices of not having to jump in the car for every single little trip they need. Right. right. Yeah. And you pointed out, too, that, uh, you know, there's there's now recognition of, you know, downtown development and, and the importance of, uh, you know, a lot of small businesses and communities. And, um, of course, these small businesses, uh can't get people coming in if they're zipping by in a car you need to you know find a way to engage you know people the, the traffic uh so one of them is slowing it down um and the other is uh basically you know providing uh 
what you call, you know, eyes on the street, right? In terms of engagement of, you know, people, both pedestrians and uh, storefronts having exposure to the street. Absolutely. Uh, so where the buildings sit is absolutely critical. You know, the engineers get to play in the sandbox first. They determine the width, the dimensions, the speed of the street. And once they try to bring it back down to the right size and scale, we can do all kinds of things with the intersections, with with adding the trees, putting the edges in, in it, and things like that. But then the architects take over and they put the buildings where they truly belong. Stop putting the buildings back 200 feet. Mm -hmm. Don't put the parking in front of the buildings. Uh, put it where it belongs, to the side or to the to the back. And, and again, that was the way we always built communities. And throughout the world, it was only in the last 60, 70, 80 years maybe that we just lost our marbles. You know, we just couldn't figure out how to do things and everything we did for the car uh kept growing and growing and we kept growing traffic as a result of making these bad decisions yeah so um dan we're gonna just take a pause right now we're gonna take a quick break um but let's let's stay on this topic um and uh, folks will be talking much more when we come back with dan burden the director of innovation and inspiration of blue zones so don't go anywhere Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burroughs and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You're listening to 45 Forward. 
To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward. We're talking with Dan Burden of Blue Zones, one of the nation's foremost experts on walkability and bicyclability. I'm not sure what that, that noun is. but um, So before the break, uh, we were talking with Dan about how we can make um, our downtowns more effective by redesigning how we place uh, the buildings in relation to the street. And one of the things that I've heard you talk about, Dan, which is very interesting and, and intuitively, you know, it's like, whoa, it, it doesn't, you have to think counterintuitively, is that you've mentioned that when you actually make the streets narrower, people get, they, they sort of panic, like, oh my gosh, then it's going to slow down traffic even more, when in fact it helps move traffic more efficiently, as you've told it. That's absolutely correct. When we widen things, we we introduce a lot of uh, results we don't want. And one is people start driving faster. Uh, so if we get as a default width for each lane to be 10 feet, uh, not 12, which is truly the size uh, built originally for tanks. <laughs> wow. Uh, but uh, and we need that on the freeways, but on local streets and uh, even collector streets and arterial streets, the better with the start as a default is 10 feet. Uh, several things happen. The speeds come down a little bit, not um, more than a couple miles an hour, but that alone uh, means that motorists are going to be more courteous and, and observant. The, the crashes come down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even the enjoyment of driving goes up. Uh, when we look at intersections, uh, they're so wide that we have to set signal cycle length so long that th- they become inefficient. And uh, so we're now looking at intersections quite differently to make them more compact and have buildings address the street appropriately, uh, especially uh, when we have two important streets connect rather than just have it be a mass of asphalt and heat and so on. The, we're now talking about how do you green it up uh, what's the right size for the street? And then better tools. For example, roundabouts move 30, 50% more traffic with 90% reduction in fatalities. And so we're taking out whole strings of signalized intersections and putting replacing them with roundabouts. And when we do, people get home sooner. We just aren't stopping them. We're slowing them down to a proper speed but we're getting them through the intersection with greater efficiency. And so uh, this is the best time in the, in the world to be a transportation engineer. Hmm. And uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're just discovering one mistake after another. <laughs> and we're realizing, no, if it's designed for people, you're going to have less traffic. And, and people who do need to drive are going to get where they need to better. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years ago um, listening to an engineer actually talk about airports, and in that in those cases, it was not um, a matter of pedestrians, but there was a notion of you know serving, uh, thinking about what is it you're trying to do. And uh, this engineer was talking about, and, and he was redesigning some airports, and he was talking about the road, the access to the various terminals. And he said, you could put it straight. He said, but that's not what you want to do. 
you want to you know make some you know you slow down the traffic and and sort of make uh, sort of curvature in the roads so people it forces people to slow down because what do they need to do they need to figure out where they're going you know? yeah. and if you exactly. just make these straightaways you know you create uh you know just uh people um frustrated not knowing where they're going and people honking in back of them so um yeah as as you've emphasized over and over it can be for cars but for generally it's it's your people first philosophy i think is really critical and and we oh, tend yeah, to serve the structures that are there as opposed to the people and re-examining them yep and also um Ron, there are just so many negative aspects of our cars that we don't stop to think about. They foul the air, mm-hmm. uh, but they make a lot of noise. And the faster we go, the more noise they make. It's a huge difference. If we bring speeds that were 40 miles an hour down to an appropriate speed, uh, we can reduce the the sound, the number of uh, the measuring decibels uh, down as much as 1,000%. And wow. it's it's an amazing uh, status, a stat uh, statistic. Uh, in one road we did, it was about two and a half miles long, where we replaced the signals with with roundabouts. We got the average cruising speed down to nineteen, and the sound levels dropped seventy eight percent. Wow! So you think about that. You know, people now can dine outdoors or or just enjoy walks uh, because it's not a a life and death feeling anymore yeah we're doing more uh to use all the tools so that when we redesign a road we don't look at one thing are we going to be able to add for bicycles or more comfortable walking we're we're building for everything and uh uh and as an example parking our cars correctly on the street creates a wonderful buffer and separation between pedestrians walking and it helps calm the t- speed of traffic too. Mm. So we we look at a street very differently today than we did uh, even ten years ago, but certainly twenty or thirty years ago, where we had <laughs> just been doing everything wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, as you were talking about the sound, Dan, I hadn't really focused on that before, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I live on a street that uh, doesn't. It's not a, really a neighborhood. I mean, there's a country club across the street. Um, and there are several houses on my side of the street, but it's for it's it's a relatively short stretch, uh, but it's straight, and it slopes downward toward from one end to the the other end where there's a stop sign and just before the railroad station, um, and people go uh, down this straightaway, and I, I hadn't focused on it um, quite so much before, but. but you know, uh, coincidentally, because of of the pandemic, where I was working much more at home, not in the office, and I just noticed that these cars go, you know, zooming down the straightaway. It's like, wow, that's a lot of noise. <laughs> I never thought about that before. But you're right, because they're not going the speed limit; they're going faster than speed limit, and yep. it's bloody noisy. Um, so yeah, it, that's important. Yeah. Um, so um, I want to talk a little bit about, so you, you have many examples. I, I remember reading that you've crisscrossed the country. You've been working with like 3,800 plus communities. 
So perhaps just give us a couple of examples of you know, some of the communities that you've worked with and, and some of the things that have been accomplished. You gave a little bit of a, a hint before, but I know that that one of them, I guess maybe perhaps the first one was uh, uh, Albert Lay in, in Minnesota. That was one of your first, but you've got lots of others. So so pick some examples of what you think people can look at, some models. Sure. So uh, once I joined Blue Zones and became a, a, a leader in their built environment section. We took Albert Lee, Minnesota, population maybe 20,000, and they had already allocated money they're going to spend on their main street to widen it. And the the downtown was almost dead. And they said, wait a minute, <laughs> you've got the money to widen this, uh, which would actually further kill the businesses. I said, let's spend the same amount of money and we're going to narrow it. We're going to make it more green. We're going to make it more walkable, more retail friendly. We did. And the business life really started to pick up. In fact, uh, they came to a point where they had to go to the next stage and do another whole section of street. Uh, Broadway is the name of their street. And uh, we knew the state was going to resurface the street. We said, well, how about uh, when you do the resurfacing, we just repaint the lines differently and we take it from five lanes down to two plus one turning lane. And they said, no, uh, we just want to build the way it is. Well, the community was together. That was the part the Blue Zones did is got everyone uh, working cohesively in their community. They said, then take your money somewhere else. We don't we don't want you to continue the problem. Finally, the state came back and said, well, we have to do this, so we'll do it. They they uh, took it down to one lane in each direction, plus a turning lane, added parking on both sides, brought the speeds down quite a bit. And, uh, the, and the cool thing is the crashes came down 78%. Wow. And the businesses now could expand into this new section of the road. So we love Albert Lee. Another one, uh, which is a Blue Zone community, is Muscatine, also uh, in Iowa. And Muscatine, uh, which is the uh, home of buttons we still have on our shirts today, due to the bend in the Mississippi River, that's where all the shells ended up. Anyway, uh, they had a five-lane road that uh, had essentially been replaced by a bypass right downtown, right on the river, and they needed to rebuild it. And we worked out a very similar approach. Uh, I think they came down to two lanes. And the cool thing is it works so much better, even for traffic, uh, that now uh, they've had three quarters of a billion dollars in this small town, about 20,000, three quarters of a billion dollars of new economic life. Wow. New boutique hotels. The industries that are already there decided they're going to really lock in and, and improve. So, yeah, uh, so many great examples. One, one that I'm really in love with, uh, my role was not anything to do with the design or even bringing the people together. I did a presentation to a Main Street, a, a statewide Main Street Association, and a group of people that came from this little town of Lancaster went back, had a beer, and talked through, let's do what Dan said. <laughs> so they hired one of the best uh, 
uh, design firms to come in. They redesigned the uh, entire main street, took it from five horrible lanes down to one in each direction, narrow lanes, add, added a lot more parking and a lot more green. They're already at three quarters of a billion dollars of new investment that, that has occurred. Uh, it's now one of the go-to places out of all of the Los Angeles Basin. People like to go up just to enjoy uh, walking along, shopping, and just being part of the scene in Lancaster, California. Wow, that's great. Yeah, they're they're you know we we just think of walking as like eh, just walking is like yeah, but there's a there's a lot to walking and and it you know it it, it connects people to the community you know and um, there so there are times when I um, I can drive to various places in my community, but I say well you know it's not that far a walk. Um, uh, let let me walk this you know I've got a little bit of time. And it, it really, it, it connects you to the community. You walk and you see things you never see when you're driving by. And um, it's just, uh, and you get some exercise and you get to be outside and you get some sunshine. And, and so there are just so many um, uh, organic aspects to walkability that we've, you know, taken out of our lives to our detriment. So it's it's really, it's really good to see us and to do what, um what I uh, mentioned to you before is what I call back to the future. You know, as you said, this is the way communities develop organically. Initially, when you connected uh, these various aspects, and you know, from from speaking for myself too, I, I live. I can walk in three or four minutes to the train station. Now, you and I remember the time when you're like, <gasps> you don't want to be near the train station. It's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> you do. where you want to be. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that that's happening. Ron, can I introduce another aspect of the health side sure. <laughs> of uh, how we design our streets? So there, there was a study done way back in the 50s and revalidated almost every five years we revalidated. If you have low volume of traffic on your street, lower speeds, then your average number of friends on your block is about 3.6. That's a huge number of friends. Today, uh, most people have less than one friend. Hmm. And so uh, what, when you bring the speeds down and the volume of traffic down on your street, uh, you, you can see an increase in social life of the street. The number of associates you have who are in many ways as important as friends, that goes up. And then the number of friends you have goes up you, because you take more walks. Uh, you you observe your neighborhood and you're watching over it more if the tra traffic's not um, causing you to stay inside your house. In fact, um, in this research, they also found that as the volumes and the speed picked up, people abandoned the front of their houses. Uh, more of their activities were to the middle of the house or even the back of the house. That's That's a huge impact. And we... We don't measure it enough, and we don't think about it enough that uh, whether or not we can stay healthy <laughs> depends on if we're people-focused in our design of our cities or if we're car-focused. And the more we become car-focused, the more we leave our lose our health, our personal health, our community health. Yeah, and and that's for for many members of my audience, which uh, you know is our older folks. Um, 
You know, one of the, what's one of the big issues people talk about, which came to the fore with the pandemic, social isolation and loneliness. So, you know, th- there are things you could do in, t- you know, yourself in terms of your life. But but if you also create environments that encourage that, I think that's a big boost, you know, to to basically addressing these issues. And we don't think about that. We don't think about that connectedness and how our environment can stimulate, you know, social engagement, which is our, part of our social health. So, um, so listen, we, I, I have a lot more I want to talk to you about. Uh, we have to take another break, uh, but when we come back, uh, I don't don't go anywhere because we have a lot more in our last segment. We want to squeeze in with Dan Burden, uh, the director of innovation and inspiration at Blue Zones. So don't go away, folks. We'll be back in two minutes. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward. We are talking today with Dan Burden of Blue Zones, the Director of Innovation and Inspiration. Um, he's one of the nation's foremost experts on walkability and walkable communities. Before the break, we were talking with Dan about how, in fact, by slowing down traffic and um, uh, and basically getting engagement with people uh, in, in this way, that it's really it, it's a tremendous boon to their social health and in terms of uh, creating uh, what is a uh, been become an issue in our time of recognizing the tremendous what we call almost a crisis in loneliness and social isolation and by working on our built environment we can encourage this kind of social engagement so on that theme uh, as we move back to the people um i wanted to dan to talk about a little bit about how he works with the communities how so if you say well oh this sounds great how do we do this talk about how you start with a vision and plan with communities yes this is this is what my career actually evolved into I had uh, realized that the technical side of how we should be designing cities, streets, everything uh, could be left to the younger generations. And um, I went back to school, got my master's training in interpersonal communications. How do people communicate? 
and then help develop the whole field of uh, public engagement. And that's really what we need. You know, we we've got the technicians; they're good. Uh, they're they're getting better all the time. But too often, engineers uh, and planners thought that they were the experts that they would save a community, whatever. Oh, of course, they took us down the wrong path uh, completely. And but the people have more sensibility; uh, they use common sense, and so. I love coming into a community to create what we call informed consent. We help people understand something. So then when they go to a meeting, they're not shouting and arguing. They're working from a common vocabulary. And uh, and we always focus on what people value. What do you really care about? Almost always families included and, and uh, quality of life, various things. But that's where we start. We don't design anything unless we take the values that have been declared by the community. So when I go in and do a presentation, I start with the values and I'm reminding people that they're in agreement on 95% of all things that we're there that night only to work on the 5% that they don't understand, like density or, uh, a parking space or something you know and and so once we say well your goal is to have better social life or retail life to your street um how is th- this issue that we're talking about tonight parking going to enhance it if you do it one way or destroy it if you do it the wrong way and once people understand that then they're ready to negotiate with one another and come up with a common thread a common direction to to uh beheading and i find it fun uh that uh and that's why i love my title a director of inspiration and innovation is my job is to inspire people so when we can gather people together any size any neighborhood then um we have something to work on and typically we do it when any kind of a project comes forward but we want people to be starting from what they value and how can we enhance that and that helps us get where we need to be. Yeah. I think people, you know, their first inclination is, I don't want to change. <laughs> don't make me change. <laughs> um, and the fear of like, this is going to disrupt. I came here for a certain purpose and, and certain expectation, and you're going to change that. Um, and, you know, as you just pointed out, it's like, well, why did you come here? And will this change make what you came here for even better? Um and invariably, as the approach does, but it takes some patience and it takes some um, appreciation that people need to feel a sense of control. And they need to feel, just as you said, like, oh, no, here come another set of experts coming in here tell us how to live. Um, so if you could get them them engaged and give them some control, I think that's what you've done a lot is basically you bring them into the process so they can they can see it. And I guess in some cases, um, when you came to Long Island and this group here, um, uh, Smart Growth Group, um, Vision Long Island, they have what they call charrettes. I guess you can call them whatever you want, but that's one of their terms where they just gather the community and say, all right, what do we want to do here? And and there are certainly lots of issues today because one of the things that is happening is people are going, every time there is new development, they're going, oh, my God, here's more traffic. And it's true. There is. <laughs> but but how do you preserve your community? Because a lot of them 
want also what you said. They want economic redevelopment and they, they need to expand their revenue base. That's a big problem, right? The expenses keep going up. They're like, well, how do we how do we redevelop our community to increase revenue without, you know, creating more congestion? So you've got a lot of answers, yeah. a lot of tools. When, uh, and um, it's so true. And uh, use as an example, people are really concerned with the rising tax rates and should be. Uh, t- between 1980 and 1990, Portland, Oregon, chose to become more walkable, uh, better scale, more compact, all the things that uh, we, we now know build for a healthy community. They were doing so well with with the new revenue coming to their town that they were able to drop their tax rates significantly. Wow. The same 10-year period, Atlanta, Georgia, chose the opposite direction. They sprawled. They they, uh, induced more auto travel and so on. That's very expensive. I mean, just super expensive. And they had to increase their taxes a very significant amount. Total difference in tax was about 54% between the two communities. But also, Atlanta lost its quality of life, its air quality. Uh, and again, just in 10 years by policy. So when people say, well, we want freedom to do certain things, well, make sure you go down the path that truly celebrates what kind of a community you want to live in and not raise your taxes because you're doing the wrong thing. Instead, do do what economically works, and you're going to find out that walkability is the heart of it all. It's mm-hmm. the cornerstone to almost anything people want today in uh, their cities. Yeah, very interesting. And I think you know, again, it's not people don't think about it that way. They don't think about how the environment can actually make things can generate economic uh, development. Um, they just think, oh, we got to bring a new company, and we got to do this, we got to do that, and you can. But this this is a much more efficient way to work with what you've got, you know. So um, the, the, I think this is really uh, the way to go, and really to encourage. Um, um, so um, so people can get involved themselves. Um, so if people want to do this, um, what are some of the ways you want you encourage people to, you know, uh, take charge of um, of walkability, to become active in their in their community not just on one issue but on many issues to to remain informed um by the way i used to do a lot of work for aarp i worked in over 60 communities for aarp Hmm. and uh, we know that the older folks in a community are more engaged uh they do more uh to to make sure the right things happen in the community so we 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 really want to see a broad spectrum of people come to uh, to work on their communities, but our uh, oldest uh, members uh, seem to have more time, and they certainly have enough interest that they do a really great job. And so, uh, your listeners are just key to all all of what is needed to revitalize our cities yeah. of any size, any scale, any geography. Yeah. Right. So we've talked mostly about walkability, but I know you've also been involved in bikeability. So before we close, I want to just talk a little bit more about that because there are, you know, so there are, this is a, yeah, this is another, um, you know, vehicle, but it's not a car. 
Um, and I think people are increasingly, well, certain certain urban areas, of course, um, uh, near where I am, New York City, of course, they have a lot more of these city bikes that, that people can take and, and use. But there, how do you um, then work with bikes and bicyclists and, and pedestrians? Because sometimes you need to, you know, create sort of a, a, a clear line, you know, between the two, between the three. The more we do for bicycling uh, in terms of the design, the more it also helps the pedestrian. So I, I sell bike lanes or protected bike lanes on that basis that it's creating buffers. Uh, the nice separation is helping uh, with with the overall performance of, of the street. Uh, but a big change that's now coming and, and is going to keep growing is the uh, electric assist bike. Mm-hmm. And I own three. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm in a very, very hilly community. And uh, uh, I want to shop and do do the th- kinds of things I can on a bike. So there are times when the bicycle is a better performance machine than than walking. You you can just carry out so many more errands if you add a, an electric assist bike. I don't love or I don't even like the the throttle uh, type electric bikes. Uh, People who haven't been on bikes for years get on them, and they become a danger to themselves, to huh. pedestrians, and so on. But uh, an electric assist bike, where you do the pedaling, but it's so much easier, uh, it's, it's just a, it's it's going to transform a lot of communities. It, it, it's already doing that in our community. And uh, But work with your community to understand the new role of, of uh, bicycles as part of the design feature of a street. And in doing so, it just opens up all other kinds of benefits to every user of the street, but especially people walking are going to be more comfortable because the bicyclists have a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I think that, um, uh, yeah, and to be, uh, have that consistent design function there because it's like, okay, here's the bike lane. And, it's like, and then all of a sudden it ends. <laughs> no one's like, well, what, what now? Um, and it's, and there are certain areas in, in my community where it's difficult. I understand that you know the 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 current configuration of the roads makes it difficult, um, but there are ways to deal with this. I'm convinced, and there are ways to also promote. Um, all right, there are certain roads that are better, more appropriate for bicycles. So you know, make them easier to access. Because um, you do, find, I find on bicycles. Um, all of a sudden, they they're onto the sidewalks. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Um, <laughs> um, and then also, I think for the bicyclists too to be uh, aware of uh, the the rules and regulations and and how they should do things. And you know, I do find you know a lot of cyclists going through red lights is like, well, that's not really a great idea just because you can. Um, right? <laughs> yeah. I see you shaking your head. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so we're we're coming to close to the end, but I um, I just want to make sure that um, uh, we spend a little bit of time uh, talking with um, how people can find out more about you, Dan, and about what your work is, or your websites, your events, and so forth. So, first thing is, if if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to contact you, and and uh, are there uh, you know places and events that you want to basically let people know about? Well, sure. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm always happy to respond to any any information requests. 
Uh, the best way to reach me is through my uh, personal website, Dan Burden, 44. That's my birthday <laughs> or year. Okay. At gmail.com. Okay. Dan Burden, 44, at gmail.com. That's the best way. Right. Okay. And uh, if people want to know more about uh, just the issue of walkability, what are the, some websites and or uh, organizations they should be aware of? Right. One one that is uh, was the most popular on the topic. Uh, it hasn't been upgraded uh, just because I got too busy, but it's called walkable.org. Walkable.org. www.walkable.org. And I'm going to be updating that very significantly. They're building the website right now. And uh, so uh, the, uh, we'll provide a link from that one to the new one. So uh, all good ways to reach me and we'll have videos that people can watch and uh, many uh, uh, buckets of information on any topic all going to be provided through this new website. Right, right. And I want to just mention too that um, uh, as Dan mentioned, he he works with many, many uh, communities that are involved with ARP, and I myself are am involved in uh, promoting age-friendly communities uh, through AARP, uh, which you know is a, a program adapted from the World Health Organization. But many of the features of age-friendly communities are are basically congruent with the notion of walkability um, and walkable communities. Um, so uh, you can go on aarp.org and also you know just search for livable communities or age-friendly communities and get a lot more information about it. Uh, these sorts of things from them as well. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, any, any, uh, any last thoughts, Dan? I mean, I, although I, I think that we, your, your watchword is, um, people first. <laughs> That's sort of what I always oh, take. Ab absolutely. Uh, build your communities for people, uh, build the right habitat. Uh, and, uh, but I, by the way, if, if, uh, any of your listeners would love to get more in, in information, they can go to TEDx and Dan Burden and uh, watch a 40-minute, or no, a 20-minute long presentation. Very tight, very compact, but very uh, invigorating. Great. Well, well thanks again, yeah, Dan. Think, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I really appreciated uh, this very thought-provoking and forward-thinking conversation. Um, you can tell your friends, if, if you missed my conversation with Dan today, you can listen to it on uh, by going to voiceamerica.com, searching 45 Forward. Go to my Rowell Resources website and click on my 45 Forward tab. So be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, when I'll be talking with another groundbreaking guest, Batsheva Marcus, the author of Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have the Sex You've Always Wanted, especially as you get older. <laughs> so then, until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 Forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.